it's about gaining the proper perspective. Amen. It's easy. It's easy to lose perspective. You know, they talk about the fog of war and, and we look at the chaos that characterizes the scene in the world today. And, and of course, we're focused narrowly in this instance on what's happening right now in Israel. But there are other places around the world and it looks like like just utter confusion and chaos. And, and the Lord is calling his church tonight to zoom out. We're going to zoom out and we're going to look down on what is happening in our world today from heaven's perspective. And we're going to see through heaven's eyes and we're going to understand that our God is still on the throne, that he has a plan and his purposes for his people haven't been thwarted. And he is bringing things right to where they're supposed to be. Uh, and it's all setting the stage for Jesus to come back. So let's pray again. Thank you, Lord. We are your church. We are your people. We've been grafted in. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to gather like this to gain your heart. And that's what we're after tonight, Lord. We're not just here to study prophecy and, and kind of remove ourselves from the, the reality of what's happening in the world. We, we want to do that within the proper context, Lord, but we also recognize that there are people, there are lives, there are, there's tragedy. And, and so we just, we need your heart on all of this. I need your heart, Lord. Help me to communicate it tonight. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. And thanks again for coming out on short notice to this special step into the story event. And that's kind of what we're branding everything that we do around here related to Israel and prophecy. And of course, this ties both of those things together. And I just know that it was in my heart after everything went down the other day and then just seeing the story as it unfolded and feeling in my heart, I just want to be with my church. And I want to pray together with my church. Praise the Lord. We had a wonderful time praying yesterday morning as we gather every Tuesday and pray. And the focus yesterday was on Israel and the Lord was speaking and moving. And I just I had it in my heart. I want to do this with more of the church. And so that's what tonight is all about. And I do want to highlight because I've had a number of you reach out to me and ask, what can we do practically? Where can we go? What, what can we give? Where do we give? And, and we have something called the Nehemiah Fund that we have established here at the church. And through the Nehemiah Fund, 100% of what you give to that fund um, is given to our ministry partners who are on the ground. You'll hear from several of them later in the evening through video. And um, we are at this time as a leadership team assessing the needs. There's, there's going to be tremendous needs throughout Israel, in particular in the southern region at this time. So many people have been displaced. So many homes have been destroyed. And, and so there's immediate needs. But we're, we're waiting to assess the needs. And then we are positioned and ready to give. So um, if you want to partner with us in that work, um, you can just either go online and on our webpage, there's a tab 
for the Nehemiah Fund, and you can just click and give to that directly. Or tonight, if you on your way out, we have uh, agape boxes that are stationed on our back wall, and you can just take a check in on the memo line, right? The Nehemiah Fund, and 100% of what is given tonight will go directly to that fund. And we have literally given away millions of dollars to Israel, um, and we partner with them um, on a number of fronts, and we will continue to do so. And they need our uh, support now more than ever. And uh, at the end of tonight, the other thing I want to focus on is just prayer. And I think um, that is what the Lord is calling us as his church to do. We need to be a people of prayer. When we pray here, we can impact what's happening around the globe on the other side of the earth in Israel. But before we get to that, I need you to open your Bibles with me. If you brought a Bible, I'm going to be reading to you out of Psalm 83. And while you're flipping there, let me just kind of take a snapshot of what's transpired, what's happened in the last handful of days. And of course, what we've seen happen in Israel is unprecedented, at least in my lifetime. As you've heard by now on early Saturday morning, Hamas terrorists, and by the way, I choose that word carefully. They have been designated by the U.S. State Department as terrorists. I know some of the media are labeling them militants or freedom fighters. They are terrorists. And they breached Israelis, the Israeli border and began killing hundreds of people. Hundreds more have been abducted and taken as hostages back into Gaza. In some cases, perhaps you saw the news that came out earlier today about what happened at the kibbutz. There were entire villages that were completely massacred. Those killed included babies, grandmothers, even Holocaust survivors. That attack on the ground coincided with thousands of rockets, upwards of 5,000 rockets being fired indiscriminately on the civilian population of Israel. And to date, these are the latest numbers I had. They might have even gone up since then, but the death toll has already surpassed 1,300 people with 2,900 wounded and hundreds more being held hostage. And and to put that number into perspective, they're a much smaller uh, size of, of population. And so what happened on Saturday was the single deadliest day in the nation of Israel's history going all the way back to the Holocaust. More people lost their lives in one day since the Holocaust. And again, all those numbers are expected to rise. The Jewish people are calling what happened on Saturday their 9-11 to again kind of put it into a context that, that makes it um, you know, somewhat relevant to us. We all remember where we were on 9-11 and how that day kind of changed the landscape of America uh, going forward. And, and, and it's the same way in Israel. After the attack, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared war on Hamas. And in so many ways, this war is still just getting started. I've read that 360,000 troops and reservists have been called to serve into active duty. And this is the first time in my lifetime, in the last 50 years, that Israel has declared war. And again, I think some of this, the impact of what I'm saying can get lost on us 
because these are statistics and these are numbers. And so again, I want to just remind us that every one of those numbers I just mentioned represents a family. These are sons and daughters, husbands and wives, grandparents. These are people who have families and lives and their world has been forever changed. And so our first response as a church needs to be to grieve with those who grieve. And the Bible tells us to do so. Our hearts also break for the families who've lost loved ones. And again, I've mentioned this, but I'll say it again. One of our focuses tonight here is going to be prayer. We're going to pray for the safe return of the hostages. We're going to pray for those families who have lost loved ones. We're going to pray for the soldiers who are battling on the front lines. We're going to pray for wisdom on high, for the world leaders who are making decisions that are going to impact so many futures for so many families. But before we do that, we're going to do what we always do around here, and we're going to see what God's word has to say. And we're going to see if we can make sense of what's happening in Israel based on what God has written thousands of years in advance. And as we get into that, I just want to set the stage by talking about the fact of how interesting and fascinating it is that we're talking about Israel. Israel always seems to be on the front page of the news. Have you noticed that? It's a small country. The entire country is roughly the size of our state, New Jersey. Its population is only about 10 million strong. And yet, with a small population and a small landmass, they always seem to land on the front page of the newspaper. And there's a reason for that. If you go back 2,500 years, the Lord spoke prophetically through the prophet Zechariah. And here's what he said about his home in Jerusalem. This is in our notes. I'd love it if we could read this together out loud. If you've got good eyes, perhaps you can follow along with me. God said, I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. Notice how the Lord compares the city of Jerusalem to an immovable rock. It's almost like there's this rock called Jerusalem or Israel, and the world is always walking by and trying to move it, but they end up stubbing their toes on it. And that's exactly what we see happening play out on the pages of the news in front of us right now. Why is it that everything, with everything we've got going on in our world, it always seems to come back to Israel? And more specifically than that, it comes back to Jerusalem. And more specifically than Jerusalem, it comes back to a rock. That rock of offense, the rock on top of Mount Zion, where the Dome of the Rock currently sits and where the temple once stood. It is the center, the epicenter of the world, not San Francisco or Los Angeles or Paris or, or, or any of these places, but Jerusalem. Now, why is that? Again, it's because that's where God has chosen to set his name forever. The Lord says, whoever touches Israel touches the apple of his eye. 
Every promise that God has ever made, every prophecy that has ever been spoken concerning the Messiah's first coming and the Messiah's return, it all gets funneled through the land of Israel and the Jewish people. Now, the devil knows this, which is why he hates Israel. And by the way, that's the the root cause of all of the hostility and all of the anti-Semitism that we see in the world today. It is rooted in the devil's hatred for God's people, for it is to them that God made the promises. It is through them that the scriptures were given. It was through them, ultimately, that the Messiah came. And, And the devil knows that all of the promises concerning the return of the Lord come through the land of Israel. And so if he can thwart that, by eliminating Israel, then he can effectively keep the Lord from returning. And that's why his anger, his hostility is pointed towards Israel. Now, the very existence of the nation of Israel is a miracle in and of itself. You know this, after 2,000 years of having no homeland The nation of Israel rose out of the ashes of World War II and the Nazi death camps in Germany to be reborn as a people. And on May 14th, 1948, they were declared a nation again in the fulfillment of prophecies spoken through the prophet Ezekiel thousands of years in advance. And ever since that day, it has been an ongoing fight for their survival. Let me just give you a thumbnail sketch of Israel's history over the last 75 years. On the same day that Israel declares its statehood, they are simultaneously attacked by no less than five Arab nations. They didn't even have time to establish a proper army yet. They were grossly outnumbered. They were hopelessly outmanned and outgunned in that battle, and yet Miraculously, somehow, they came out of that battle victoriously. The Lord was all over it. His fingerprints were all on it. Then, in 1967, with the Egyptians once again threatening Israel, and war was right there on the horizon, and instead of waiting for the enemy to attack this time, the Jewish people decided to take the fight to their enemies and strike first. Now, keep in mind that once again in 67, the Jewish people were grossly outnumbered. They were outgunned. They were outmanned and in many ways outmatched. Yet once again, they miraculously won the battle. At the end of what is known as the Six-Day War, appropriately named because the The war only lasted six days. Have you ever heard of a war that only lasted six days? It was miraculous in every way. And by the end of the sixth day, they had not only effectively staved off their enemies, but they had expanded their borders and they'd captured the Golan Heights in the north, the Sinai Peninsula, the West Bank, that area that has caused so much problems over the last 50 years, and the city of Jerusalem, the spiritual heart and the capital of the holy city. So for the first time in 2000 years, Jerusalem and all the holy sites, including the Temple Mount, were back in Jewish control. And this is the way things remained until 1973. That's when Israel was attacked yet again. 
This surprise attack occurred on the holiest day of the year for the Jewish people. It's known as Yom Kippur. We studied it, the Day of Atonement, just a couple of weeks ago here at Maranatha. And on this day, Egypt and Syria combined forces for this attack. And and at first, they caught Israel flat-footed, and it appeared as though the Jewish people were going to lose the battle. But by God's grace and through all kinds of miraculous events, they were able to push the enemy back and hold the lines and keep their homeland. Now, since that time, 1973, there have been hundreds of other battles and and skirmishes and fights. And each time the Jewish people have come out on top over and over again. Yet, they continue to be surrounded by enemies on all sides. To, their, to their, their south, there's the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. To the west, the Gaza Strip, that's where Hamas is. It's a proxy for Iran, and, and they've caused all kinds of problems. And then to the north, in Lebanon, you have Hezbollah. However, even though they've been surrounded by enemies, they've been able to live in relative peace for the last 50 years. Until this most recent attack, all that has changed. For the first time in 50 years, Israel once again finds itself embroiled in a battle for their very survival. And that's why we're here. You see, everything that happens in Israel is important and worth paying attention to. We want to we know what's happening in Israel and weigh it against what's the Bible say. But there's something about this particular war that feels especially significant. And what I want to do with you is look at the scriptures to see if there's any insight we can gain from them regarding where this whole thing might be headed. And with that as a lengthy introduction, let's go ahead and read from Psalm 83. And I want to read the first eight verses. It says it like this. Oh God, do not remain silent. Don't turn a deaf ear. Don't stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads with with cunning. They conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. With one mind, they plot together. They form an alliance against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagrites, the Byblos, Ammon and Abelach, Philistia with the people of Tyre. Even Assyria has joined them to reinforce Lot's descendants. Now, Psalm 83 is is quite fascinating, very interesting psalm. It was written some 3,000 years ago. Give me just a second here. It was written 3,000 years ago by a guy named Asaph. Now, who was Asaph? Asaph was one of King David's appointed worship leaders. And so his main job was writing songs and leading the nation in, in, in music and worship of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is that he writes this psalm during a time of prosperity and peace for Israel. Under David's reign, Israel reigned as the dominant superpower of the known world, and and they enjoyed the zenith of their power during his, his reign. And yet, in the verses we just read, 
Asaph describes a scene in which Israel is surrounded by a confederation of 10 nations that are all plotting together to plot Israel's demise. Now, why on earth would Asaph write about Israel being surrounded by enemies during a time of peace and prosperity? My answer is, I think the Spirit of God led him to write prophetically about a future event. You see, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 30, Asaph was not only a worship leader, but he was also a seer or a prophet. And so I think he's functioning in that role of a prophet as he writes this psalm. And he describes these 10 nations that have counterparts in the modern world that are coming against Israel, aligning to attack Israel. Earlier, I was telling you guys how Israel throughout its history has been repeatedly attacked by different coalitions of Arab nations. In 1948, there were the five Arab nations that came together to attack Israel. In uh, in 67, rather, Israel faced off against three more nations who came against her. And then in 73, there were two that came against Israel. So you have the five and the three and the two. That adds up to 10, right? And so it's possible, one possible interpretation of this psalm is that he's describing this season of Israel's existence in which these 10 nations would come against him. But that's problematic a little bit because many of those battles were fought by the same armies. So we've yet to see a time when Israel was attacked simultaneously by a coalition of 10 different nations. And so the question is, could this current war escalate into something where Israel is surrounded by 10 nations? And my answer for you this evening is, we'll have to wait and see. But it's possible. Right now, what's happening is the whole world is glued to their TV screens and we're all watching with bated breath to see how is this thing going to play out and how big is the war going to get. And we can see troubling signs that it is escalating and that there are other players that are threatening to get involved. Perhaps you've been following the news just like me and you've seen how it was just yesterday that reports came in about rockets being fired into Israel from her neighbor, Syria, another known enemy. Are they about to get involved? Only time will tell. There have also been attacks from Lebanon in the north. It was just earlier today that all of northern Israel was put on full alert after uh, a warning sign went on. Uh, And it was reported that a suspected, and I quote, infiltration from Lebanon into Israeli airspace had occurred. It was a warning that proved to be a false alarm. And yet, nevertheless, it's a real threat. And they remain on high alert. I was reading about how 10,000 troops have just been, uh, you know, stationed and positioned in the north in case something happens with Hezbollah and Lebanon. Things are escalating. We also see Russia and their rhetoric being ramped up. They criticized the United States for what they described as a destructive approach to the situation in Israel. Meanwhile, the U.S. has openly stated, we've got Israel's back. 
And I was praying with a family this past week, who weekend, who they just sent their son off, and he's on a ship that is headed to the region of Israel in case things blow up and get bigger. Now, as we were reading Psalm 83, there's something else I want to draw your attention to that the psalmist said will define this future war between Israel and her enemies. And we see it in verse 4 when it's the rhetoric of the enemies and, and their stated goal is to destroy Israel as a nation so that its name is no longer remembered. Think about that. Now, view that statement in light of the rhetoric that we're hearing from the leadership of, of Hamas, that has been their stated goal. I want to read to you a quote. This is from the former leader and, and co-founder of Hamas. And he said this in an interview just a few years ago. And, and you don't have to read this one with me out loud, but I'll read it to you. He said, and I quote, we have liberated Gaza, but have we recognized Israel? Have we given up our lands occupied in 1948? We demand the liberation of the West Bank and the, establish, the establishment of a state in the West Bank and Gaza with Jerusalem as its capital, but without recognizing Israel. This is the key. Without recognizing the Israeli enemy on a single inch of land. From the beginning, Hamas has dis described their goal as wanting to eliminate Israel. One of the slogans <coughs> that has really taken root in, in many of these pro-Palestinian rallies that you're seeing pop up in places like San Diego and New York City and uh, among other places around the world. I was reading about one that was happening in Australia. And one of the slogans that has really taken root is this, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It's catchy. It has a ring to it. But understand, this statement is understood to be a reference to a world in which Israel no longer exists. From the River Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea, that's the borders of Israel. They're saying this will all be Palestine. There will be no more Israel. And then this came in earlier today. Again, from the former leader of Hamas. Perhaps you saw this as he called on Muslims around the world to, this Friday, embrace a day of global jihad. And here were his final words in his communication, and I quote, Funds are important, but today we are asking for your blood and souls to be sacrificed for Palestine. I mean, this is scary stuff. This is today. These are the things we're reading in the headlines today and yesterday in the past couple of days. And it, it, it appears to all line up so well with what the psalmist described would happen in these last days. And so where is all of this headed? And what is it building towards? That's the question. And again, a lot of what we see seems to be lining up with what the psalmist said would happen in Israel. And, and yet, having said that, am I tonight making the statement that we're seeing Psalm 83 lived out before our very eyes? No, I'm not making that statement, at least not yet. But here's what I am saying. What I'm saying is we should continue to monitor the situation in Israel very closely. And, and let me add this as well. As we watch what's happening in Israel, this will be a key, a key factor in, in whether or not things are ratcheted and ramped up. Keep your eyes 
on Iran. That's the one wild card, the thing that could really escalate the situation into a whole nother category is if Israel decides to go after Iran. Now we know that Hamas is funded by Iran, right? We know that they've been working with Iran and that they've been funded by Iran. We also know that Iran has been working on their nuclear program and they've been working hard at obtaining nuclear weapons and that their goal, and again, I quote Ahmadinejad, his goal is to wipe Israel off the map. I mean, if they get the nuke, Israel's going to be their first target. So, Should they do something preemptively to Iran because of their role in this whole thing? Again, that could escalate things dramatically and play into a prophecy that was written by the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapters 37 and 38, it talks about another battle, a coalition of forces involving two key players, Russia and Iran attacking Israel together. And the Bible literally talks about how the Lord is going to put a hook in the jaws of this enemy to the north of Israel and drag her into the fight. Now, if you were to look at a map tonight of Israel and to go as far north as you could, you know what you'd run into? Basically, Moscow and Russia. Now, that prophecy suggests that Russia is going to be dragged unwillingly into this fight. There's going to be a hook in their jaws. Now, what would draw Russia into a battle? I mean, they've got enough problems of their own, right? With, they've got their hands full with the Ukraine fight. However, if Iran gets involved, if the U.S. finds itself somehow involved in this war, then could that be the hook that draws Russia down? Again, the answer is It's all possible. Now, the interesting thing is that if you look at this relationship between Iran and Russia, historically, there's been no political ties or economic ties or military ties between these two countries until recently they have become strategic allies. Iran has been supplying drones to Russia for its fight in Ukraine, and in return, Russia has supplied Iran with all kinds of weapons. All of this is well documented. And so I share all of that to say, as we look at the world stage, as believers who love Jesus, who believe in this book, believe that it's inspired, that it's authoritative, that it tells us the beginning till the end of world history. As you look at the world stage and you compare what we see happening in our world with what the Bible said will will be going on in the last days, there's a lot that seems to be lining up. Will you agree with me? It says Jerusalem's going to be a stumbling block in the last days. It says there's going to be a coalition of forces that surround Israel and attack her simultaneously. It says that Russia and Iran are going to form an end times alliance and come down to attack Israel. And we're told that Israel will triumph. And it's all lining up just the way God said it would. It's amazing. It's like God knew. Now, let me say this. I don't like fear-mongering. And I don't like being alarmist. And I'm not trying to stoke fear within the body of Christ. 
What I've just shared with you, all this stuff, it's alarming, but it's not cause for fear. Somebody say amen. What it's cause for is exercising faith. I'm here to remind you ultimately that none of this stuff has caught our God flat-footed. Israel might have been caught flat-footed. The United States might not have seen this attack coming. But the Lord is firmly seated on his throne. He's seated on his throne. He's not pacing up in heaven. He's not wringing his hands. And we don't live in fear, but we walk by faith. God is in complete control. The power players down here that think they wield control and that they're the ones pulling the strings, they're really just puppets, and God is the puppeteer. They're pawns, and and they're ultimately playing into God's perfect plan. You see, again, from our perspective, from our limited, finite perspective, it appears as though things are coming unglued, that things are falling apart, but we know because we have this book and we know how the story plays out that they're not falling apart, but they're falling into place. Things are happening exactly how God said they would hundreds and in some cases even thousands of years in advance. And so again, my goal here is not to stoke your fears, but to stimulate your faith. We know how the story ends and it ends with Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom on earth. And when he does, he's going to set things straight. Amen. So. What is our response? I don't want to just share facts with you and, 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 and stir you up. I believe all good preaching should, should lead to, to action. And so what are our action steps? Let me give you three action steps. I think, I'm pretty sure I've shared these before. But the first one is we need to wake up. Somebody say, wake up. All right, this is how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. And I'd love it if we could read this one together out loud. And do this, understanding the time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Look at the person next to you and tell them it's time to wake up. No more hitting the snooze button. The time is short. The mission is critical. Jesus is coming back soon, and he needs a church that is awake and ready for him. We can't play games, amen? It's time to get right with God. If you're not right with God, it's time to pay attention. It's time to to look at the news and and watch the unfolding events of the world on your phone in one hand and hold your Bible in the other. And we interpret the current events through the eternal, unchanging lens of God's word. And we live for heaven. We're waking up. And and events like this are are a wake-up call for the church. And they're a wake-up call for the world. And the Lord is shaking up the world. And he's saying, I'm coming back soon. So we need to wake up. That's the first thing. Secondly, we need to look up. Jesus said it like this. This is Luke chapter 21, verse 28. And again, I'd love it if we could read this one together out loud. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're, we're awake. We're not woke, but we're awake. We're waking up. We're looking up. 
And then thirdly and finally, we need to make sure we're prayed up. We need to pray up. The Bible tells us that men ought always to pray and not to faint. It tells us the cure for an anxious mind is to bring prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to the Lord. It tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's why we're here tonight. We want to pray for those who've lost loved ones. We want to pray for the release of these hostages. We want to pray for wisdom for our own leadership here in America, as well as the leadership in Israel and Mr. Netanyahu and the IDF leaders and, and, and all the boots on the ground. We need divine leadership. We need, we need instruction from heaven, wisdom. And we need to pray for revival, that the Lord would use this event to stir up his people, to wake them up, to bring them to saving faith in Jesus, but not just them. There's this verse in Psalm 83 that I didn't read to you, but in verse 16 of Psalm 83, the psalmist goes on to say this as he begins to ask the Lord to intervene on behalf of God's people and, and to deal with the enemy. And then you get to verse 16. He says, cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek your name. And we want all of the earth to be saved. The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we're praying for the Palestinians. We're praying for the Arabs. We're praying for the Jews. We're praying for the church in America. And we're praying with one heart together in all these ways. Amen? So that's what we're going to do now. But before we do, I reached out yesterday to our friends and partners, just a handful of them. I mean, we have dozens of friends that, that we've been communicating with in Israel. Um, but I reached out to just a handful of them to ask how we might pray for them. And, and so they were kind enough to send videos. Someone, some of them were in danger even filming these videos. And you'll hear their heart. And it's gut-wrenching to hear them to talk about the atrocities that were perpetrated against them. But they're also going to share some prayer requests. And then we're going to come back and we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to go into a time of prayer. So at this time, turn your attention to the screen, if you would. Shalom, Pastor Daniel and all our friends at Maranatha Chapel. Greetings to you from the uh, Judean hills outside of Jerusalem. Well, hello, Pastor Daniel, and hello, Maranatha Chapel. This is David Tal, and I'm speaking to you from my balcony in Modin. You can see behind me. Shalom to our dear friends at Maranatha. Dear Pastor Daniel and dear Church, I'm so thankful that you're standing with us in this terrible, horrible hour of trial and tragedy. Israel has not seen pictures like this since the Holocaust. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, it's been an absolute shock for the people of Israel, particularly as the size and amount of atrocities come to light. Over the hill that you see behind me, about 40 miles away, is Gaza, where the fighting has taken place. I can still hear the jets in the background, and actually there are still rockets being shot out of Gaza as we speak a few minutes ago. There are many that are still missing. There are some 400 Israelis that are not accounted for, that we do not know where they are. You asked me, Pastor Daniel, how to pray. And I would ask you and the church to pray that Israeli army would see miracles. Like we 
fought in the days of King David, being led by God. All of us, me included, where my nephews, some of my nephews are stationed up in the north, some of my nephews are, are actually in training in order to go down to the south. All the believers on the country, everybody that I know between the age of 18 and 40 is on in uniform right now. And and this is this is a, a sense of shock together with the rising anger. Um, me and mine are safe. The boys are not in. Dolev's uh, in the north, uh, next to the Galilee, and, and Yavden is not far from here. Uh, and, and my family is more or less uh, in a safe situation, but the whole country is, is terribly, terribly, terribly. I am speaking to you now from the center of Israel, from Wadi'in, that might seem to you like a peaceful area. You can see a beautiful olive tree in the background, but what you also see just on the hill behind me you see the Iron Dome. This is just a few minutes of quiet that I took in order to use to make this video for you. But this Iron Dome uh, missile has been firing since Shabbat early in the morning and virtually nonstop till now because there are rockets that have been raining down on Israel like hellfire from Gaza going to the areas of the south and also to the center of the country. There have been direct hits to homes, to hospitals, to areas not far from the airport, and to every part of Israel's center and south just since Shabbat morning. This is a calculated, horrific, barbaric attack. Well, please stand with us and pray that God would do miracles, that we would see miraculous protection, miraculous guidance and leading, miraculous manifestations. Like in the days of uh, independence war, where people were witnessing of soldiers in white joining them in the battle. People coming with the keys to the Temple Mount during the Six Day War. That we would experience, as our army experienced, the same kind of miracles, supernatural manifestations of God's wonderful, miraculous power. But I can assure you, is that Israel will go on and that Israel will survive. And as much as this is unbearable, we must bear it. More than anything, please pray for the peace of Israel. Please pray for God's chosen people who are after a terrible world. And hope to see you again soon in California. Thank you guys. Nevertheless, we have to finish the work. We have to continue to exist as a victorious nation under God and uh, see the peace of Jerusalem. So Daniel, church, please pray for us. Keep us in our prayers. Keep in your mind's eye those mothers, those babies, those children that had a beautiful life and is gone and those that are still with us and that we need to uplift, to encourage, to ensure that they don't live a life of trauma. Please help us in this dark time. We know the promises I have for you, says the Lord. Promises to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Thank you, Maranatha. Shalom. I give you some points for prayer. Generally, please pray for the families of the over 1,200 uh, people 
women, children, elderly, as well as a few soldiers as well that were uh, already killed or murdered in, uh, in the war so far. And also especially for the kidnapped and their families, we're trying to ease their pain much as possible. And we at One for Israel and many other believers in the country have been going to those places and providing those essentials. We've also been standing with the people in Sderot, in the south of Israel, throughout the Gaza Strip uh, border that have been hurt, uh, deeply, deeply, deeply um, uh, hurt. And we are helping some of them to evacuate, particularly the women and the children, and put them in hotels and families in the center of the country. So thank you for standing with us. I cannot tell you how encouraging it is for Israelis to know that our friends in the United States and all over the world are praying for us. Thank you. Please continue to pray and I hope to see you in person, even possibly as soon as December, if this finishes. So thank you and may God bless you. Shalom.